morning, Middle Church. Today's invitation to worship is excerpted from a speech from the 1984 Democratic National Convention. It was a speech by the Reverend Jesse L. Jackson. Family, our time has come. Our time has come. Suffering breeds character. Character breeds faith. In the end, faith will not disappoint. Our time has come. Our faith, hopes, and dreams will prevail. Our time has come. Weeping has endured for nights, but now joy cometh in the morning. Our time has come. No grave can hold our body down. Our time has come. No lie can live forever. Our time has come. We must leave racial battleground and come to economic common ground and moral higher ground. America, our time has come. We come from disgrace to amazing grace. Our time has come. Give me your tired, give me your poor, your huddled masses who yearn to breathe free. Through our faith, by God's grace, there will be a change because our time has come. Let us worship God. find it inside your bulletin. And sing along. If you know the song, sing along, sing along, sing along.
Good morning, middle, for the message for all ages. Thank you. Come with me. We're going to get this mat in order. Good morning, middle. Good morning. And I need my young people, our young people, to be with us. I'm Monique Fortuné, and I am currently an intern along with Vanessa here at Middle, and we got a message. But I want to make sure my young people are here. Thanks, Sarah and everybody. 400 years ago, the first Africans came to America. They were free at home, and here they were forced to be slaves. They were treated terribly in ways that were unequal and unfair. They worked all day for no pay. And when they became free, black people still did not have equal pay, equal rights. Things were just not right. And you know what? Still not fair. But you know what? I have a question for our people of God. How do you feel when things aren't fair or equal? I know how I feel, but I want to know how you feel. How do you feel? I know I feel sad when I feel something's not fair. How do you feel? Yes, I hear you. How do you feel? I feel that everything should be fair because there's no reason that it shouldn't be fair. All right. I like that. Now, you know what? Open your hands and close your hands, then open your hands again. What's in your hand? When you let go of things, you can sometimes let go of being sad, you can let go of being mad, but guess what, middle? What's in your hand? You can let God use you to resist. You can let go to show people your love, and your fairness. And you know what? At middle, you've resisted. You have marched for climate justice. You've 
written letters to stand up for other children. You've sent books to Puerto Rico and you've gone there to serve. And I'm proud of you. And me being so new to middle, I can't wait to get to know you a little bit better. So you know what? We're gonna stand and we're gonna pray. And we're gonna use our hands to connect. We're gonna wait for everybody. All right. Make a circle. Repeat after me. Let's say this together. Dear God, Dear God can, you make this world can you make this world a little more fair, a little more fair and, just and just for more people, for more people and, help us resist. and help us resist? Say amen, amen. and an amen. And now we're getting ready. Let's go and let's march and let's sing Sia Hamba. All right. family? How you doing on this wet, chilly October day? Doing okay? The music's hot though. It's cold outside, but the music's hot. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here today. This is um, our second celebration of the 1619 Project, if you will. 400 years since the first Africans landed on these shores. Uh, we did a worship celebration in August. We're doing this today. We're doing another November 10, and finally December 1 to commemorate um, the resistance, the resilience, the fight, the built-in fabulousness of beautiful black bodies. Amen? Yeah. On these shores. So thank you for coming today. I'm Jackie Lewis, and on behalf of our whole family, I'm glad you're here. How many of you are here for the very first time? Well, well hello. Hi. Could you keep your hands up? So stick up. Now keep your hands up. So where are you from, sir? You're from New York. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Our ushers are going to give you something. Where are you from? France. France. Bienvenue. We're so glad you're here. Where are you from? Japan. Japan. So glad you're here with us today. Thank you. Where are you from? France. From France. I'll see. Bienvenue. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> it's a French kind of thing going on. We're so glad you're here. Enchanté. Thank you. Who else? Did I miss anybody? Where are you from? Jersey. From New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that is just as important as France. Just as important. We're so glad you're here. And you? France, I'll see. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Guess what? I'm going to be in France on February 2nd preaching at the American Church in Paris. Could you come? <laughs> Could we be friends like that? That would be amazing. Let's talk about that after. <laughs> okay. uh, who did I, uh, where are you from? Tennessee. Tennessee. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. We're glad. Did I miss anybody else? 
I think it's amazing that we have visitors from all over the globe uh, on, on any given Sunday, and we're so glad you're here. And those of you who have been missing, welcome home. <laughs> Not to pick on you or anything, we missed you. We're so glad to see you. Mike Healy and my Renee. <laughs> um, so look, there's a lot happening today. Um, in between the worship celebrations, we're going to have a wonderful sermon talk back with Achebe Powell. Do you guys know Achebe? Do you know how brilliant she is and the amazing work she does? Can you stand up and wave? Yeah, Achebe's going to, yeah. Yeah. So we're literally going to benedict, take a quick, quick break, meaning she and I might, you know, attend to nature. And then we're going to just uh, begin a conversation right here on the pulpit. We'll have our second worship celebration, and then after that one, we're having a libations uh, ceremony uh, to pour out libations to the ancestors that have brought us thus far by faith. So that's going to be out here on the front steps in the rain. We will not melt. I hope that you'll come and join us for that. Um, a couple of other things are happening that are really important for us to note. One is that tomorrow is a National Day of Outrage um, at uh, Foley Square. At 5.30, Amanda and I are going to be there to raise our fists and um, stand against the outrageous just injustice that happens to African-American people and to African-American women. Um, and so please come and be with us and stand up for justice. Uh, Amanda will give you information, and I've got this flyer right here, so you can see me as well. And on October 31, which is Halloween, and our children will be like all decked out in costumes, we're going to have a 5 to 6.30 trick or treat on the front step. So inviting our neighbors to come and play with us and bring their children. Uh, speaking of children, next Sunday at 1.15, there's an open house um, with Elise so that our families can get to know our staff and the work that we're doing with children. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, today's prayer is sung. And as we prepare for that, I just wanted to remind us that <coughs> excuse me, one year ago today, 11 souls were shot while they were in their house of worship at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. And my Jewish friends don't put flowers on graves because flowers wilt. They put stones. They put pebbles on the graves. So here we have 11 11 pebbles rep representing those 11 lives. And Chad has already prayed over the lives for us this morning. And I just wanted to keep their lives in the center of our consciousness as we pray to our God today.
Let us continue to pray together, standing as you're able, holding hands with our neighbors, praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. That was literally the sounds of blackness. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Dion. Thank you, singers. Let us pray. Ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. The Zulu people think that we become a person in relationship to others. They say, when I see you, that's when you exist. So today, I'd like to invite us to pass the peace to our neighbor by seeing them into existence. The greeting is Salbona. Can you try that? Salbona, which means I see you. And Sincona with a click, which I cannot do, <laughs> means... I am here. Sabona, middle family. Sincona.
Today's scripture is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, 16 to 18. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, all right. 
15 years ago, when I became the pastor here, we had some African-American congregants, I'm not kidding, who said something like, great, now the blackness can come. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> one of our cultures is black. <laughs> thank you, Dion, and thank you, beautiful ensemble. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. I'm black. <laughs> Just thought I'd share that in case. Okay, let us pray. <laughs> Eternal God, you are indeed a rock in a weary land and a shelter in the time of storm. And as we spend this day thinking about the way you can and have delivered your people from the lion's den, Help us to hear a word from you that is a word for today, a word to encourage, a word to guide our feet and light our path. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 The lectionary's passages, the collection of scripture that we read are strange about leaving out some things that don't seem to make sense to the people who pick the text. So the section that Cheryl reads of this piece of a letter from Paul to his disciple Timothy um, focuses on his dependence on God and his need for rescue. But I want to read just these two verses as well because I find them fascinating. Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly urge you to proclaim the message, to be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. This is special. For the time is coming where people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, hear me, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Itching ears. <laughs> Caught my imagination. This is a really vulnerable text. Paul has been on trial and it didn't go very well. He knows he's going to lose the battle, which is to say he knows He's going to die. And he's been on trial for preaching sound doctrine to the people of God, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ past the Jewish people out into the Gentiles' world. In fact, Paul almost single-handedly gets Christianity to Europe. But he's on trial for not being a good Jew any longer. And he's writing to his young mentee, Timothy, and he's mourning that the trial didn't go well. And he's also grieving that the people who were with him, his posse, his people, the ones who had his back, have now abandoned him, just like they abandoned Jesus in those dark trial times. They abandoned Paul as well. But he's passing the baton, and he's telling Tim, even if the folks leave you, you have to keep on doing the good work. He's saying, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I kept the faith. Paul is testifying, and it sounds like he's bragging on himself, but actually he's bragging on the God who called him into life. 
and ministry. I fought the good fight with God underneath my wings. I finished the race with God blowing me down the paths of righteousness. I kept the faith, and God is the one who's responsible. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? And why not me? And why not every man? And he's saying at the same time that the work is not finished, someone else, Timothy and some others, have to keep it moving. It's cold outside. The seas are not really doing much commerce and the boats aren't moving, so he wants Timothy to hurry up and come and bring his winter coat and bring his Bible and his parchments and his papers. He's telling Timothy that Alexander the coppersmith has done him wrong. He's saying, watch out for that dude. He can't be trusted. And Paul is saying, the people have itchy ears. They will turn to fickle teachings when times get rough. But Timothy keep on telling the truth, preaching the message, telling the stories. He is now to keep the faith. He is now to continue the fight and finish the work of building the reign of God on earth. This text makes me think about three things. I'm not a great three-point preacher, but I'm going to tell you three things that this text makes me think about. One is itchy ears are looking for white supremacist ideologies. Itching ears are looking for, have been looking for, have created white supremacist ideologies masquerading for Christianity since the beginning of time. When Paul took the gospel to Europe, Paul didn't take white supremacy to Europe. Paul was a good Jew, you've heard him say it before, who took the gospel of Jesus Christ to Europe, but Europeans empired Christianity as soon as they heard it through their itching ears, looking for a way to justify the hierarchical, white supremacist, sexist, homophobic ideologies that already lived in their lives, in their hearts. Didn't God ordain us, bless us, design us to be on top. White supremacist ideologies are a lie, a false doctrine, and the itching ears who didn't want to believe the first will be last and the last will be first, who didn't want to believe that the kingdom of God was about children having a safe way, a good way, didn't want to believe that women were called to preach the gospel. In fact, the first preacher was a woman named Mary Magdalene. Itching ears created a gospel of empire, and that's what's preached today in pulpits in and out every Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. Two, even though the lies of white supremacist ideologies masquerade as Christianity, we are still called to fight with faith until the finish. And the finish line means the gospel of God's love is available to and about all the people, and black lives matter. When we have fought the race, when we have finished the battle, Latinx lives will matter, Asian lives will matter, 
Gay lives will matter, trans lives will matter, bi lives will matter, and black lives will matter. And because black lives matter, all lives will matter. Let us not let a passing hashtag be the way we think about the redemption of uh, black people everywhere. This is kingdom building work. We like Paul, like MLK, like Fannie Lou Hamer are called to number three, resist with our truth telling and with our lives. Resistance is an act of faith, a holy act, and it is the only way we will change the world. That's three things. Let me say a little more. There's a lot of itchy ears talking around. When a racist who paid for an ad in the New York Times to demand the death of five boys who turned out to be innocent, dares to compare his impeachment inquiry with lynching and sets up a fake event at a historically black university to receive an award, a bipartisan award, celebrating his, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, because <laughs> what could it possibly be? I don't know. Humanitarian-ish love of people of color and standing up for the black folks. I don't know. That's itchy ears talk. Somebody say itchy ears talk. When clergy in the great state of Texas sign a letter to take a pledge that they will no longer ever preach that gospel of Jesus and justice are synonyms, when they will in fact say it is a false teaching that Jesus wants justice, when they will in fact say, of course, the created order that the sovereign God made was for some people to be on top and some people to be on the bottom and some people to be rich and some people to be poor and some people to be white and some people to be black. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's some itchy ears talk. Somebody say itchy ears talk. It's not new, itchy ears talk. In uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, a letter was written called a slaveholder's letter. This happened in 1850. Some nice white Christian, I love white people, you know, I'm not picking on y'all, I'm just talking about what happens. Here is a man who writes a letter to the newspaper, like an op-ed or like a, I don't know, an Instagram post, so to speak. Um, concerning an African-American man who wanted to buy his family. And he's deeply concerned about this. Why does this black man want to buy his family in, from slavery into freedom? He says, dear sir, let me tell you what I believe. I believe our Savior thought it of far more consequence to teach falling, erring men 
that honesty was far more indispensable in his sight than this thing called slavery at which you revolt. Is that clear? I believe that our Savior thought honesty was far more indispensable in his sight than slavery. Let me say it again. Better to be honest than to let go of your slaves. That's a mid years talk. That the Yankees and the English had all this glorious work to themselves, and now after making themselves rich with the spoils, now they want to put in our midst a race of beings whose skin so perfectly represents the cupidity and blackness of their hearts. They're ready to see their throats cut, and if necessary, to help do it so they can be free. I sincerely believe the Negroes, as a class of laborers, are the most happy class of beings in the world. And I have often thought so when I've seen them together in the field, talking and cracking jokes. Or at the corn shucking, singing their merry songs, or at the camp meeting, joining in glorious, joyful clapping of their hands with the very joy that things were as well with them as they are. Just imagine a set of poor old women and little children weeping and listening to the graphic description of their wretchedness by some pseudo-abolitionist, and think how perfectly ridiculous is such a sight. It's perfectly ridiculous to be an abolitionist when the darkies are so happy and the darkness of their skin matches the darkness of their heart. That's some itchy ear talk. Now, those itchy ear talks feel so outrageous to us that we like, oh yeah, I can tell that that's itchy ear thought. But there's some itchy ear preaching and teaching and Bible study happening all around the country every day, and it's subtle. It's gentle. It's not that offensive. The word they shows up. I don't know if they are ready for leadership when a new job is being offered in a corporate office and the money will be twice the amount paid to somebody dark, but the new white lady will get the job because they don't want the job or they aren't capable of doing the job. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's some itchy years talk in my collegiate church, in our corporate office where we're not quite sure that black and brown people have the capacities to do the work. When I, as the African-American president of the collegiate church, have to convince white administrators to send out the stuff I've asked to be sent. In this church, itchy ear talk. In churches all over the country who, who talk justice, but nobody on the board is black who talk, we shall overcome, but would never call African-American clergy to do the work. Itchy ear talk can make even African-American people prefer a white clergy person. That was my experience when I got here. Let Jackie start talking truth, demanding non-gossip, insisting on anti-racist work, and the chitter-chatter around the old black people was, wasn't it better when the white man 
was here. Black people can internalize the white gaze. Not because we want to, but because it is so darn contagious. Somebody say amen. Even in these hot moss times, I'm at point number two. In the midst of itchy ear false teachings, we, like Paul, are called to fight the faith, to fight the faith, to fight with faith and finish the race. That's hard to say. The God who has snatched Shadrach, Abednego out of the lion's den, the God who knows how to deliver Daniel is the same God who's given us every good gift and every tool we need to rescue ourselves from this abomination that is racism. Fannie Lou Hamer was an illiterate Mississippi woman who happened to sing in the choir with my mom in Ruleville, Mississippi. She tells a story of being arrested for standing up for voting rights and being put in a jail cell with five men, two black prisoners and three white officers, and that the white officers gave the black prisoner a blackjack and said, if you don't beat her, I'm going to kill you. And they beat her, and they beat her, and they beat her, and they beat her until they were told to stop beating her. And then the second one was told to take the blackjack and beat her, and beat her, and beat her. She said she doesn't know when she passed out, but she did. And Fannie Lou Hamer, quote, illiterate woman, knew her some gospel, knew her some Jesus, and says this in her 1964 speech as she ran for office. I was led out of that cell into another cell where they had two Negro prisoners, and the three white men in that room beat me. They ordered me to lay down on a bunk bed with my face down, and they beat me. The black men said, move your hand, lady. I don't want to hit you in your hand. And I had to keep my hand there to protect myself because I had polio, and they beat me. And they beat me. And even still, she said, we don't have anything to fear. I don't know how today, I don't know how tonight, whether I'll actually get back to Ruleville, but all that they can destroy is the Fannie Lou Hamer you meet here tonight. But it's the Fannie Lou Hamer that God holds that will keep on living day after day. Righteousness, she says, exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed are they that moan, she said, for they'll be comforted. And we've moaned a long time here in Mississippi. And Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth, and there's no race in America that's meeker than the Negro. We're the only race in America that's had babies sold from our breasts, which was slavery time, and had mothers sold from their babies. And we're the only race in America that had one man had to march through a mob crew to go to school. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. All we have to do is trust God and launch out into the deep. All we have to do is trust God and launch out into the deep. She goes on to say, we're not fighting against these people because we hate them. 
We're fighting against these people because we love them. And we're the only thing that can save them now. Do you hear that? We're not fighting against these people because we hate them. We're fighting against these people because we love them and we're the only ones who can save them now. Friends, we are the only ones that can redeem the soul of America. By we, I mean we, the black people in this congregation, whose ancestors who've come over a way that with tears has been watered, by we, I mean every African-descended person in this room whose parents lived with abject poverty and lived in segregation and walked back to school to go to the school, drank from the separated water fountain. By we, I mean every descendant of enslaved Africans in this country. But I also mean we, everybody in this room. I mean the white people in this room who walk by the white church to come to the black church to hear the black dreadlock lady preach in the mixed church about how we will overcome. You make a choice, okay? You make a choice to listen to us go black lives matter, black lives matter, revolutionary love, love, love. And the choice you make is the choice to be liberators of God's people. And I am so glad you're here because we cannot heal this hot mess all by our damn selves. Somebody say amen. amen. And I think, I think the third thing that I want to say is I'm tired. I'm tired because I was in Austin, Texas, and got home at midnight last night. <laughs> but I'm tired. I'm tired of what feels like we don't think we can do better. I'm tired of what feels like we've had the movements, and maybe we don't see enough results, and so maybe we're ready to sit down someplace and just do the best we can. Put our children in private school, just do the best, let them do the best they can. Um, invest in our retirements and do the best we can. Give air kisses to each other in this multiracial space and go home having done the best we can. It's like we're afraid to put our lives on the line. Like that day is over. Like, we did that already. They already, you know, they already sat at the lunchroom counters and had ketchup bottles smashed on their heads. Elijah Cummings already tried to integrate a, a swimming pool in Baltimore and got hit in the head with a bottle and carried a lifeline. He did that already. They already got beaten with batons as they marched across the Pettus Memorial Bridge. We did that already. Dogs have already been snapped. And we did that movement already. We don't need to go that far anymore. I'm tired of feeling like we have satisfied ourselves with the work that we're called to do. In the last speech before he was killed, when Dr. King was preaching about having been to the mountaintop, he said something like, I'm not worried about anything, I'm not fearing any man, because mine eyes 
have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He'd been to the mountaintop. And his eyes had seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I'm not fearing anything. I'm not worried about anything except our apathy. Because I too have seen the mountaintop. I have seen the rallying of bodies and souls in Ferguson, Missouri. I have seen people stand up for Freddie Gray. I've seen a whole movement grow up around three queer black women who dared to say Black Lives Matter, and the whole globe caught an imagination for Black Lives Matter. I have seen my great uncle George take bullets in his house trying to register people to vote. How dare we not vote? I have seen the struggling, praying on their knees work of poor black women in Mississippi trying to make a difference. I'm so sure that we're not finished with this race. I'm tired of the apathy. I'm tired of the settling. I want you furious that any black child learns in a classroom with less tools than white children. I want you furious at the 13 times wage gap between black family of four and white family of four. I want you furious that there's someone in the White House who will not be content until we go back to the good old lynching days. And you can say, Jackie, this, our faith is not about this, and I'm going to tell you, hell yeah, it is. <laughs> this is exactly what it's about. It's about making God's reign on earth, and God's reign on earth is about all the people everywhere being safe and loved and cherished and seen and well, and surviving and thriving. This is our calling, this is our job, this is our task, is to finish the work because we have faith in the one who created us equal, to link arms, to join hands, and to march to the kingdom of God together and to not be satisfied until racism is a pastime paradigm. That's our work. That's our job. That's our calling. So 400 years from now, all the little Latino children and all the little Chinese children and all the white children and all the black children look back on this time and laugh at how foolish we were and rejoice at how far we've come. Thank you, amen. She's on fire! <laughs> Woo. Lord, I don't even know what to say after this. But I'm gonna say what I gotta say. Let me see. I get this. Uh, woo. All right, y'all, good morning. My name is Lila, and I'm a deacon here at Middle. Let's create the possibility of being bold, resourceful, 
connection, and leadership together. We are called to be a bold, new thing, powered by revolutionary love. This is no small task, but our faith moves mountains every time we change a heart, a mind, or a spirit. Every time we face the Goliaths in the world, we stand, march, campaign against systems that perpetuate disparities, marginalizations, and inequalities. We change the status quo, systems, policy, and give voice to the least of these. Every time we open our doors, we repair, rejuvenate, restore someone's faith in God, humanity, and community. Every time we are God's hands and feet, praying dangerously, supporting, soothing someone whose angst is too deep for words, but understood by spirit. Every time we move, every time we are moved, touched, inspired by laughter, togetherness, we become heaven on earth. Every time we baptize, breathe, benedict, we become one. Every time we give, share, receive the talents, gifts, treasure, we exemplify God's mercy and grace. Every time we stand before you, we are asking to partner with you in the possibility of being bold, resourceful, connection, and leadership together. As the ushers prepare to receive your offering, can we envision together the reign of God in the flesh called you? Every time someone joins the movement, we demonstrate change, love, compassion. Will you join the movement? I did, how about you? After service, someone will be at the pulpit to greet you and tell you all the ways you get to create possibilities here at Middle. Thank you for funding this movement. Your giving makes miracles happen. Thank you. All right, Middle, you heard Jackie. We've got work to do. We've got a fight to fight. We've got stuff we gotta continue to work on. And it might seem like the night is long, it might seem like the days are long, but I believe I serve a God who is mighty. Anybody believe it? Say, Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty.
God, you are a right now, right here type of God. Every time, not one day or someday, but right now, God. We want to thank you for these gifts. We want to thank you for the talent. We want to thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, as you carry us today and every other day thereafter, let us be under your wings. Thank you. Amen.
of what can happen. You. Una milagra. It's a miracle. In these times, in these hot mess times, to be in a community of people, of revolutionary lovers, all trying to do the thing. I'm so grateful. And there's just like more work to do, guys. Lila called it an on time right now. God, the right now on time God is requiring each of us to do a bit more. A bit more. Yeah, those young people did sit at lunchroom counters against violence. Yes, they did withstand dog bites. Yes, they put their lives on the line. And we have to put our lives on the line for what we believe to be true. I'm, I'm counting on you. I love you.